Walton, and welcome to the first episode of People Have the Power, a new podcast where each episode I will be featuring a different guest talking about their favorite protest songs of all time. We know them as songs of social justice, songs of change, but mostly as protest songs. This week, we are so excited to kick off People Have the Power with the iconic artist Shepard Berry, who takes us through songs from Public Enemy, The Clash, and more, and talks to us about how those songs have influenced his work and his ideals. Well, welcome to People Have the Power, and thanks for being here with Shepard Ferry. Yeah, let's jump in. What's your first one? Well, the first song I, I ever really realized was um, kind of a, a protest anthem that was something that I took ownership of, that was part of my subcultural interest, that wasn't just something on the, on the radio, like Ohio by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, was Get Up, Stand Up by Bob Marley. I was 14 when I discovered Bob Marley because uh, a friend of mine had a ramp called the Rasta Ramp. I had never listened to reggae really, but I went over there and all they were playing really was was reggae. And I heard the word, you know, uh, Rasta in some of the music. The ramp was called the Rasta Ramp. So I knew that was the connection. I was way too insecure to ask anything about anything because that would look uncool and and like you know I, w- I just wasn't down I wasn't in the know but I went to the record store and I looked for an album with the word Rasta in it first album I found was Rasta Man Vibrations by Bob Marley which is an awesome record that then led me to Burnin' by the Whalers which has Get Up Stand Up and Get Up Stand Up is just um you know, it, the, the way it is uh, structured musically, the lyrics, um, the way it's got sort of, um, you know, like, a, a, like an update of a civil, civil rights gospel feel to it. But, but you know, a, like a Jamaican um, militancy. It's, it's just like, you know, everybody, I, I think that probably several people are going to pick that song. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I'm just being true to, to my history and I mean, get up, stand up. Um, you can fool some people sometime, but you can't fool all the people all the time. There's just so many great lyrics in that song. One of the things about Bob Marley, though, for me was that, um, and this is also co-written by Peter Tosh, who was a little bit more uh, sort of militant and radical, but the way that Bob was always finding a way to push back against injustice, but also not just be bitter, look for a positive, optimistic path forward. I mean, you know, that was very different for me than say the punk rock I was listening to because at the time I was listening to things like, it's like bleed for me or, or kill the poor. There's, um, yeah, there's a protest component to it, but they're not inclusive enough. They're angry. They're really to just, um, you know, stoke the energy of people that are already considering themselves outsiders, where I think Get Up, Stand Up um, could really reach a lot of people and make them consider concepts of injustice who weren't already, you know, in, in your corner, which is, um, which is the beauty of a lot of Bob Marley's music. 
Well, you know what's so interesting about that? It's funny too, because I mean, like the first the first interview I did for this was the Indigo Girls, who I absolutely love. And we were talking about one of the songs they picked was We Shall Overcome. And we were talking about how that's a song that's a hundred years old and people are still singing it in protest today. And it's like, it's so funny that you chose the line in particular. You can fool some of the people some of the time. You can't fool all the people all the time. Dude, can you think of a more prescient line as we come up for the November election? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... Um Un, un, unfortunately, um, you can seem to fool a percentage of the people all the time um, if you're uh, if you're a Trump supporter. But um, but yeah, I mean these are these are things that are relevant um, now that were relevant in the in the '70s that were relevant during civil rights. That, you know, probably concepts that have always been relevant. And um, yeah, the, the idea of the U.S. of of, of democracy that there's um, the will of the people determines the um, the shape of the government and the shape of the policies. Uh, I, you know, I think that um, it's so important for people to remember that and remember that their participation is is crucial and that standing up uh, for their rights as citizens is really important. So, even though Bob Marley's Jamaican, not not American, this is absolutely applicable to what's going on and. You know, I, I chose all sorts of different things to latch on to in music that I grew up listening to. But um, yeah, I'd say from I'd say from Bob Marley that um, that idea of sort of being um, being willing to uh, make sure that the music appealed broadly and that um, and that it wasn't just wasn't just angry. It wasn't just bitter. And even in the way that Bob Marley structured the, you know, the, the, the song programming on his records, there'd be, you know, a love song and then a political song. Um, and, and, you know, that idea of how to mix the seductive with the provocative was, is something that I brought to my art inspired largely by, by Bob Marley. Well, you know, it's so cool too. Something you said was so interesting because you mentioned the fact about it's, you know, like the dead Kennedys and how that stuff would be angry, but you latched onto the Bob Marley because of the healing. And it's a really interesting thing because when I was talking with Carlos and Cindy, one of the things that came up is most of the songs that people choose as protest songs are songs that have a definite healing quality to them. And there is a big difference between songs like, you know, fuck the police or whatever that get you fired up versus protest songs and it's interesting because like Cindy was talking about like for her when she thinks of a, a song that gets her fired up she chose James Brown say it loud I'm black and I'm proud which is very different than what's considered a protest song like a Dylan blowing in the wind or you know a Springsteen off the Nebraska album or whatever it is so it's fascinating that you mentioned that differentiation between you know the angry and and the healing yeah and um you know, the, the healing is definitely really important in, in Bob Marley, but I mean, the, um, even if you don't read all the other lyrics, uh, the, you know, get up, stand up, stand up for your rights, get up, stand up, uh, don't give up the fight, the idea of, of persistence that, you know, I, I think that for me, the frustration has often been that there either isn't enough um, critical mass behind a cause to achieve the, uh, the change I want to see in the short term. But I know that eventually, um, with an, uh, enough people, even if it, even if it takes time coming to terms with the need for change, um, that eventually that critical mass will be achieved. So tenacity and persistence, the way that that's emphasized in, you know, in that Marley song is, 
is really is really great. And um, I think almost all protest movements have that you know uh, uh, that urgency, but also a belief that the you know the the battles here and there may be lost, but what is uh, you know what's important is to keep fighting. Absolutely. What's the next song? The next song is um, Fight the Power by Public Enemy. Speaking of and, a song that gets you fired up. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because um, I didn't realize until after I discovered uh, Public Enemy, and, I, you know, I love a lot of Public Enemy stuff. Um, I think their album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, is the best hip-hop album of all time. Um, Fight the Power is from the follow-up album, Fear of a Black Planet, which is, which is right neck and neck with, with Takes a Nation of Millions. But Fight the Power was the anthem that Spike Lee used in Do the Right Thing. And, you know, Do the Right Thing was about a racial tension in Brooklyn. And um, Radio Rahim who's carrying the boombox throughout the, throughout the movie um, until he's killed by the police. So it's very, very relevant for what's going on right now. Constantly is playing "Fight the Power," and uh, I found out later that the the chorus "Fight the Power" is um, based on an Isley Brothers song, which also has really great lyrics. Um, the Isley Brothers lyrics go: "Time is truly wasting. There's no guarantee. Smiles in the making. You got to fight the powers that be. Got so many forces staying on the scene, giving up all around me. Faces full of pain. I can't play the music. They say my music's too loud. I keep talking about it." I got the big runaround. When I rolled with the punches, I got knocked to the ground with all this bullshit going down. Time is truly wasted. There's no guarantee. Smiles in the making. You got to fight the powers that be. Now, you know, Chuck D is a guy who samples um, a, lot of, a lot of music and, and, you know, he sampled that idea, but then he wrote his own lyrics that are so awesome that it's, um, other than the chorus, it's a completely different song. It's uh, musically structured differently. And the lyrics are different other than the chorus. But, I mean, you know, there's so many good lyrics in, in Fight the Power. Um, uh, uh, you know, Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me. Straight up racist, the sucker was simple and plain. Motherfuck him and John Wayne. Because um, I'm black and I'm proud. I'm ready, I'm hyped, and I'm amped. Most of my heroes don't appear on no stamps. I did a whole series of art called... Um, most of my heroes don't appear on stamps just because of that lyric. And that idea of who is revered, who's put on a pedestal, who gets transmitted as a hero through history, um, that, that that's insidiously racist. Uh, it was, was something that I hadn't really considered in a, in, in a really nuanced, sophisticated way. And so, you know, Chuck D with so many different lyrics, um, Open my eyes, and uh, you know. Let's see. Um, uh, what's another good? Let's get this party started right. Come on, what you got to say? Power to the people, no delay. I got into um, studying about the Black Panthers because of a lot of what Chuck D talked about. But um, yeah, the oh, another lyric from that song that's that's really great. Um, it's our freedom of speech or freedom of death. We got to fight the powers that be. So. The idea that using your voice is so essential that you might as well be dead if you don't use it. Um, it's freedom or death, meaning like that's the urgency of speaking out. You know, this, this idea of what, um, what is really essential for 
um, people to get justice in the world that it's, uh, you know, it's not a passive thing. It's uh, as, you know, as um, Neil Young and Devo say, Russ never sleeps. You've got to, uh, you got to be vigilant. So, I, you know, I love that song. I love the, um, I love the delivery of it. I love the way it was used in Do the Right Thing. I love Public Enemy's visuals. The entire package was so influential for me because Public Enemy considered every detail of how to get maximum impact with what they were doing. So, you know, as, as an artist, um, you know, whether it was how I would place things on the street, the way I would design things, how I would try to use various platforms, a lot of that was me emulating the, um, you know, the potency of, of Public Enemy's consideration of every different vehicle for their message. What year did you do the series of artists that are series of art that wasn't on stamps? What year was that? That was 2004. And the series was um, Bobby Seale, the co-founder of the Black Panthers, Noam Chomsky, um, you know, the, the writer and, and social theorist and linguist, Joe Strummer from The Clash, lyricist of The Clash and rhythm guitarist um, and the conscience really of The Clash and Bob Marley. So, you know, some of the people that are in my list were part of that. It all gets very, uh, you know, meta incestuous. But, um, but anyway, uh, somebody, of course, mentioned to me, well, Bob Marley's been on the stamp in Jamaica. <laughs> well, not in the U.S., but anyway, you know, there's always somebody that's going to school you. The reason I asked what year is now I'm just curious. Uh, two or three people that you would put on the stamps are on that series if you were to revisit it in 2020. Because the thing is, in 16 years, and especially with what's happening in the world today, we're seeing so many changes. And, and look, I mean, history is just being rewritten in front of us with these fucking statues being taken down, thankfully. And all this time and, you know, recognizing people who, who didn't get them. And it's funny because, I mean, you know, one song that's only come up once, surprisingly, in the episodes we've done is Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? And there's a dude who finally just got his stamps. I just, I don't even buy stamps, but to save the post office, you know, I haven't mailed anything in forever, but absolutely, I bought a sheet of Marvin Gaye stamps. Wow. Um, yeah, I, uh, I haven't bought stamps in quite a while, but that's great that Marvin Gaye Got a stamp. I mean, um, yeah, just a lyric from what's going on. War is not the answer. Um, it, it's so simple, but it's um, it's always the right answer that war is not the answer. <laughs> we're I mean, that album, is, it's crazy because we were talking about it when it came up yesterday. It's going to be 50 years old next May. And I mean, that's an album that especially with the protests going on, as, men, as much as any of these songs feels like if it came out right now, you would think, oh my God, this, this is just like, you know, this is the music for 2020. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's so, so much good stuff that, uh, you know, from, from the late sixties, Vietnam, um, you know, civil rights from, uh, you know, plenty of things by Curtis Mayfield, by, um, you know, plenty of the Mo the Motown stuff. Um, it's, you know, there, there's, there's a, it's hard to narrow it down to five songs, but I'm going to get into some civil rights stuff later. But, uh, but well, yeah. But just put you on you the know. spot now, I'm just curious. Uh, two people that you, would, that you would do in the, you know, wouldn't be on stamp series in 2020 from, you know, that. And again, you know, it's interesting because they may be people who predate 2004, 
but their relevance, you know, changes, of course, too. So we look at people very differently in 2020 than we did in 2004. Well, you know, um, I'd say Bernie Sanders would would probably be one of them. And even though this go round, I wasn't a Bernie supporter because I was worried about his age and his electability. I think the way in which he reframed a lot of the political conversations about, you know, um, things like healthcare and affordable education or free education are all super important. And um, so I would definitely, I would definitely consider him. And then I would include um, Naomi Klein, the writer in that group. Cool. Yeah. And that's the funny thing is like, and it's interesting with someone like Bernie and, and, you know, I, I kind of, obviously one of the things that with the format is, you know, you pick a song and then we go into conversation and it leads in different directions, but I will keep it, you know, cause we've only done two out of the five. So, but just, it's interesting because Bernie is a, a fascinating character because dude, I mean, there's a guy who's never going to have been elected and is still going to go down in history for having reshaped things. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a connection too. Uh, public enemy supported him and played it as uh at his rally in LA. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, What's the next song? The next song is Know Your Rights by The Clash. And, um, you know, there's, uh, there's protest songs that have more of an um, maybe universal anthemic quality. And then, you know, there's a song like this that I just think um, the call to action of, of Know Your Rights, even though the way The Clash we're talking about it in, um, you know, a, a, a way that was really about the lack of rights that people have and how those um, rights in some way or ways are, um, you know, perverted by the powers that be. Um, I still think that that idea that it's important to know your rights and, and, and educate yourself and then act upon things to, uh, you know, shape things the way you want comes through in that song. But I also just love, I love the, um, you know, the sort of assertion right at the beginning of the song that it's a public service announcement, that the Clash were always about um, using their music as, you know, as a, as a vehicle for social consciousness and, you know, and political action. So this is a public service announcement with guitar. No, you're right, it's all three of them. Number one, you have the right not to be killed. Murder is a crime unless it's done by a policeman or an aristocrat. Does that uh, not fit the moment that we're in? I mean, um, you look at the way that politics are working with people like the Koch brothers having such a disproportionate influence on Republican politics. And then, um, and, and then the way that people are finally, finally hitting the streets in protest that the police have gotten away with murder mostly against people of color over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So funny though that you mentioned the Koch brothers and it's like, you know, look, I mean, it's amazing how, you know, they've had, you know, they've been able to do what they've done or were able to do what they did. You know, I know one of them passed and yet, you know, eh, like, I mean, the right endless fascination with George Soros and the, the just obsession it is really interesting how, how the two sides view things so differently, but that's a whole separate conversation. But it's just interesting what you said. Well, 
you know, it is, it is interesting how, um, I, you know, I acknowledge that George Soros is, you know, is backing a lot of, um, progressive causes, but, um, but it's not with the same, um, with the same leverage to manipulate the behavior of politicians that comes from the right. And yet, whenever I even talk about an issue like universal healthcare or climate change in one of my posts, I, I get attacked for being a puppet of George Soros. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I meant. It's amazing that, you know, how the left, we don't sit and talk all the time about the Koch brothers, even though everybody knows their influence. And yet, if there's a protest in the street, you know, the right is screaming that George Soros paid for it. So it, it's just yeah, interesting yeah. how, yeah, the, the difference in the perspectives. Well, um, you know, I think that what I've always said about art is, uh, and my art specifically, is that art, art has the ability to initiate a conversation that wouldn't happen otherwise or is, um, or is a counter to the dominant narrative. Um, and so when people call my art propaganda, I say, well, you know, if your definition of propaganda is art that's meant to influence, then sure, it's propaganda. But it's not propaganda in, this, in the normal connotation that it's meant to be the end of the conversation. It's meant to create a conversation which, uh, you know, I, I want to have a lot of different um, points of view included in because I think that when everyone gets to share their point of view, the strongest points of view rise to the top. When the conversation is, con is dominated by one point of view and no one else gets to talk, that's, that, you know, that's what propaganda is aiming for. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, look, the thing is, if you put a viewpoint forward, I mean, it's funny. I just did an article on this and, you know, I mean, I've been fascinated with the, you know, responses to Morello, but it's funny for me being a huge Springsteen fan as well. Going back to, I was talking about this with someone in 2004, he did the Vote for Change tour to, yeah. you know, help elect Kerry and all these people were like, oh, wait, like, I, I, didn't, I liked you until you started talking about your politics. And it's like, have you ever listened to a fucking song? Right. <laughs> do you, you know, do you know any of, so it's just, it, I mean, I'm sure as an artist, you get that quite a bit because it's, you know, people are like, you know, they shut up and, you know, the, the Laura Ingraham, just shut up and dribble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's um, really funny how um, people will say, yeah, I, you know, I liked, I liked your art, art better when you weren't talking about politics. I've been talking about politics through my art for, you know, 30 years. So there really wasn't a time, you know, maybe um, instead of talking about general concepts like surveillance or obedience, I've gotten more topical and more specific about what's going on with current events. But the, um, you know, the, the principles of questioning authority, um, questioning power, uh, you know, just looking, um, looking at how to promote equality. That's been in my work since the very beginning. Yeah. But like you say, it's funny. If it's, if it's not obvious, then people don't see it. People see and hear what they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so what's the next song? Uh, Barbara Dane and the Chambers brothers. It isn't nice. Do you know that song? I don't, which is cool because then I'll be excited to go and listen to it. Yeah. It's, um, 
It's from the civil rights era and uh, Barbara Dane is white and the Chambers brothers are black and, uh, but they were like a, you know, gospel soul psychedelic combo. The best song, um, their best known song is, um, uh, um, oh God, uh, the one that says time. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the full name of the song, but, um, but anyway, you, you would, uh, you would know it if you heard it, but it's, Oh, I do know that song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were originally from Detroit then they moved to California, but, um, you know, Barbara Dane did this collaboration with them. That's all about protest. And, uh, the lyric goes, it isn't nice to block the doorway. It isn't nice to go to jail. There are nicer ways to do it, but the nice ways always fail. It isn't nice. It isn't nice. You told us once, you told us twice, but if that is freedom's price, we don't mind. It's, uh, you know, it's a, I mean, it's not that long a song. I'm going to go through a few more of the lyrics. It isn't nice to dump the groceries or sit in on the floor or to shout out cry of freedom at the local, uh, at, at the hotel in the store. It isn't nice. It isn't nice. You told us once, you told us twice, but if that's freedom's price, we don't mind. We've tried negotiations and the token picket line, Mr. Charlie didn't see us and he might as well be blind. When we deal with men of ice, you can't deal in ways so nice, but if that's freedom's price, we don't mind. They murdered folks in Alabama and, and they shot Evers in the back. Do you say, uh, uh, did you say it wasn't proper? Did you stand up on the track? You were quiet just like m mice. Now you say we aren't so nice, but if that's freedom's price, we don't mind. Well, it's interesting because I looked it up because I didn't know the song. By the way, the other Chambers Brothers song is called Time Has Come Today. Yeah, Time Has Come Today. Exactly. Yeah, that I was... couldn't remember the name either. So that's fine. Yeah. But it's interesting because I looked this up as well because I'm not familiar with it. Is it nice? And I mean, and I mean, again, the, the fascinating thing is looking at all these songs still have so much relevance. And here, are the, I mean, literally, how about those years of lynchings? You know? Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, with what's happening, it's amazing, you know? And this song came out when? Uh, I think 64, 1964. Amazing, right? Well, you know, it's amazing and sad. <laughs> on the one hand, as a fan of this music and, you know, seeing Springsteen and you too on the Amnesty Tours in 80 and, you know, all this stuff. Like for me, it's so exciting to do the show. On the other hand, you know, it's like, damn, wouldn't it be nice if all these songs were totally, completely irrelevant now? Yeah, it would be. Um even though they're great songs, it would be nice if we could just listen to them strictly for their music and not listen and, to and them and, and say, uh, wow, look at how barbaric things to be used to be. Like, remember back when they used to have a brand called Aunt Jemima? Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, they just, they just discontinued Aunt Jemima, by yeah. the way. And but, you, um, <laughs> as, a, as a funny <laughs> side of that, you see, it's funny. I do not watch events from that person I will not name. But, you know, I do follow, obviously, I think see, I see things on social media and on news. And, and the student at University of Arizona who came out and talked about the fact that that was a real person and that was the American dream to be the Aunt Jemima model. And, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's amazing the times that we live in and it's fascinating and entertaining and sad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um you know, one of, one of the things I really like about the Barbara Dane Chambers Brothers song is, um, is not just that it's a beautiful song with great lyrics and, um, you know, and, it, and it's got that of the people folk tradition um, in, you know, in the way it's arranged and sung. Um, 
uh, you have to listen to it. It's very powerful, but also that it's about allyship that, you know, Barbara Dane's a white woman collaborating with a black group. Um, and, you know, at that time, the, uh, you know, the, one of the problems with things moving in the right direction was there weren't enough allies. So what I'm encouraged by now seeing the response to uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd's murders um, is how many different kinds of people have been hitting the streets, every race, every every, uh, you know, social economic background. And so, you know, I think that the, the potential for progress is here. And, and I think the politicians are, um, you know, they, they're, they're listening. So if people vote in November, uh, I, I, I think it'll make a difference. And um, I'm just hoping the main, the, the momentum can be maintained. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think that's one of the things that's fairly fascinating and a positive about social media is looking at, uh, you know, all the people talking about how you can be an ally. And that is something that's different, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So for you, it's interesting for you as someone who's involved in all, you know, let's put it into the practical and then we'll come on to the last song because I know we're only going to do half an hour. But again, when you talk about these songs, there's so much to say. But, you know, what would be the, the two or three things that you would say as someone who's been, you know, fighting for rights for 30 years and been involved in this? What would be the two or three or the one or two primary things that you would tell people to do, especially because, you know, you have what's cool is you reach so many young people who are just trying to fight for the first time and don't know how to be an ally. So what would be the best advice that you would give people the one or two things that you would say if you want to be an ally right now in this fight to do? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm constantly learning and um, my you know, my, my understanding of my, uh, of, of my privilege and, um, you know, many different aspects of the complexities of race relations are, are hopefully always improving. But one of the things I would, I would say is, um, it's important to, it's important to listen. And, and I think, as, you know, especially guys, you know, I'm a guy and I acknowledge these, these, uh, the natural tendencies to want to, um, sort of be a problem solver and be upfront in the mix that, Sometimes it's more important to listen and, you know, give somebody else the, the platform, the spotlight, the microphone. And um, I, uh, so I've been trying to do a lot of that, but, um, but, you know, I also try to make, make images that um, hopefully create sort of an equal humanity among all the races and, and you know, and a heightened sensitivity to, um, injustice and, and, and disparity, but also something that can be, uh, that can bring people together, that can, that can unite people. But um, I, I'd say the really important thing coming up for November is to vote, to understand, look at all the candidates, look at the, their, their record on um, social justice, race, et cetera, criminal justice, and make sure that not just for the presidency, but for, for, uh, you know, for Congress, for all, you know, all the local um, positions that there's, um, you know, there's an understanding of who the, you know, who the right people to vote for are. I, you know, I find that a lot of people, they, they talk about how they want to see change, but they're just not willing to get into the nitty gritty of how to educate themselves around, around voting. And then, of course, there's all sorts of other, other ways to use your voice. I, I believe that, protesting in the streets and 
making signs for the window of your business or your home, that all, all of that is letting the powers that be know which way the wind is blowing and that they better look out. And, uh, and so voting is, you know, is how you really make sure that if they're not doing the right thing, they, they feel that that sting directly in that part of democracy. But I think that participating in democracy is much broader than just voting. And, um, and I think it's time for white people to um, not act like um, if they're not racist, they can just be quiet. I think it's important for white people to be outspokenly anti-racist now because that's the only way to really change all the, the um, structural bias that's insidious is by being outspoken and making sure that it's understood that anyone that isn't helping to fix the problem is maintaining the problem. Yeah. Cool. What's the last song? The last song is Man in Black by Johnny Cash. Nice. And, um, you know, the interesting thing about this song is I, I think a lot of protest songs are considered to be things about um, maybe a, a specific issue. Johnny Cash um, always was sort of rooting for the underdog and had his great songs like Folsom Prison Blues, where he's, you know, uh, uh, inhabiting, um, you know, a regretful character who's... Um, you know, made a mistake and is going to go to prison and wish, wish he could take back, um, you know, the murder that led him to, that means he's going to prison or, um, you know, cocaine, um, cocaine blues. Um, I think, I think that's the name of that song, but same, same idea, but, but, but man in black is great because it's sort of self mythology around, uh, and symbolism around, um, social justice for people who have had a bad shake, whether they're prisoners or, um, or soldiers or people who are bo born on the wrong side of town. Um, and it's just, it's great musically and it's great lyrically. So it goes, uh, uh, well, you wonder why I always dress in black, why I never see brighter colors on my back and why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone? There's a reason for the things that I have on. I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down living on the hopeless, hungry side of town. I wear it for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime, but is there because he's the victim of the times. Well, I wear the black for those who have never read or listened to the words that Jesus said about the road to happiness uh, through love and charity. Why you'd think he's talking straight to you and me. We're doing mighty fine, I do suppose, in our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes, but just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back up front. There ought to be a man in black. I wear it for the sick and lonely old, for the reckless ones whose bad trip left them cold. I wear the black in mourning for the lives that could have been. For each week we lose a hundred fine young men. Um, uh, well, there's things that, that will never be right. I know, and, and things need changing everywhere you go. But till we start to make things to make a move, to make things right. You'll never see me wear a suit of white. I'd love to wear a rainbow every day and tell the world that everything's okay, but I'll try to carry off a little darkness on my back till things are brighter. I'm the man in black. I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it's basically saying, you know, where he is in his career, incredibly successful and, um, 
uh, you know, an understanding of his uh, of his stature, you know, economically and socially, that he still identifies with the people in the struggle. And um, and I, I, you know, I think that that's uh, just a beautiful thing. Um, Johnny Johnny Cash is a complex guy who made some mistakes. Um, no one's no one's perfect, but I think that especially because he's from a genre country that's largely ruled by people who I, I don't think, um, and not just ruled by in the, in the creators, but the, the, the audience, um, people who don't look at social justice, don't, um, don't have a lot of, um, you know, empathy for people in the struggle that this is, uh, such a great, uh, song and, Johnny Cash is such a great role model. Well, it's so interesting too, because I admit I'm, not, I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. I wasn't so familiar with the lyrics though. And it's funny as you were reading that, now that I looked it up to, you know, sort of go along with it, you know, and it's funny because that's a song that to me is so perfectly placed between Dylan's Chimes of Freedom and Springsteen goes to Tom Joad. And it's like right in that vein. And of course it came between those two songs, you know, in that vein of being able, like just those great songs about speaking out for people who are forgotten and alienated. And uh, Johnny Cash, even though he preceded Dylan, was in awe of Dylan. Dylan was his favorite songwriter and he spoke in interviews frequently about the, the, the beauty of Dylan as a songwriter and poet. Interesting, yeah, very cool. So it's interesting too, when you look at this, right? And you think about, yeah, 65. When for you, and we'll make this last question and wrap up, but when you look at, you know, a song like that and how it speaks so much for people who are disenfranchised and not spoken for, I would imagine as well, you can see a direct correlation in your art. Well, uh, you know, I guess um, all these people being role models, <laughs> for me, it makes sense that I try to use my art that way. But um but I'm sure, I, I guess what I was getting at, sorry, is I'm sure there are some songs where you can see it and feel it more. And a song like Man in Black, where he's very specifically speaking out for people who, you know, don't usually get a voice, who are forgotten about, you know, it's kind of easier. In a, I guess what I'm saying is it's easier in a sense to, to see that direct correlation because it's something that any artist can do in their art is to speak for those disenfranchised. Yeah, and... Um I was inspired to make art the way I make it largely by music. And um, initially it was, it was the clash and the dead Kennedys and um, black flag. A lot of, a lot of bands that, you know, express their frustration with things, but then Bob Marley and then, you know, all, all these, all these people. Um, but the idea that visual art was usually, decorative or um you know or more about the aesthetics than it was about the content uh always frustrated me and there were a few artists like barbara kruger um robbie canal uh you know people who had done things for say the works progress administration back in the in the 30s and 40s um art the art done for russian constructivism that was uh, politically motivated. And even though um, those aren't my politics of, of the politics of the early Soviet Union, um, the way the art was used to um, get people to look at a point of view, that was something that I always wanted to do. And 
uh, if making a strong picture is can you know can also deliver a strong message, just like making a strong melody and arranging a song well, if you can put meaningful lyrics to that, uh, that you know that's a win-win. And so music was my was my model. Cool. What do you want to add? I didn't ask you about because I know we already went over. But yeah, dude, this was a blast. It's, it's so funny. I realized as long as I've known you, we've never done like a formal proper interview. You know, we did one together with Neil when you did the show with him, but you and yes. I have never done like a sit down interview. We talked about doing one for four but never. So this was a blast. I'm so glad we got to do this. Cool. All right, dude. Always great talking to you. Thank you so much. You too, Steve. Bye. Hi, this is Steve Balton, and you have been our guest on the first episode of People Have the Power with Shepard Ferry. Other upcoming shows include John Densmore of The Doors, Carlos and Cindy Santana. We've got a lot of great guests lined up, and they pick a lot of great songs. So hope you'll tune in each episode. Thanks. Power that beat. As the rhythm's designed to bounce with death and death, the rhyme's designed to beat.